Hey, uh, today we're still in Mark. We're going to be in Mark for a while, and I'm going to take you back in time and show you some old products. But before we get there, I have to define some terms for you because we're going to use these definitions today. An improvement means you take something that's existing and you make improvements upon it versus the word change, which means something radically different. So Heather's going to put up the first slide, and it is a picture of uh, baby shampoo. How many of you used that on your children when you were younger? And do you know, if you get pink eye, wash your eye with this. Yes, because uh, you have to wash your eyebrows and get in there. I had pink eye because I went Black Friday shopping about five years ago at midnight and touched some really yucky things and somehow I was tired and I rubbed my eyes the next thing I know I had pink eye and it was the pink eye as an adult is really bad so anyways do you notice what it says on the bottle improved formula they took something and improved it how about the next slide this is acne free and of course what's the advertisement say new Improved formula. How about the next slide? Plus white, five-minute speed whitening system. Again, what is it? It's an improved because you weren't satisfied with it the first time. Now I'm going to date you, okay, on this next slide. How many of you remember this product? Do any of you remember Ungentine? I remember Ungentine. I busted my chin open three times as a kid. I had to have stitches three times. The first time, I was so panicked when they were bringing the needle down, I was flailing and they had to put me in a straitjacket. I will never forget being put in a straitjacket to have my chin sewed up. And one of the things I had to do was put ungentine. I don't think they make it anymore, but again, what does it say? Improved formula. That's what improvement means. Now, how about change. The, the definition for today is this. Let's show the next slide. This is a change. How many years do you think mankind had to boil water with fire? Thousands. And what do we use today? A microwave. That's a change. Fire is not improved upon. It is a radical change. How about the next slide? Is there a difference between a one horsepower and, I don't know, 160 horsepower, 120? Yeah, there's a difference. That's a change. And one more, one more change. Candlelight versus the light bulb. That's a change. And in our text today, Jesus is going to be confronted with a question. Uh, or really, it's a question about Jesus. Is Jesus just an improvement on the old stuff, or does he bring something different? Does he bring a radical change? And so I hope you have your Bibles. I need you to turn to Mark chapter 2. We're going to have just five little verses today. And I'm going to read the entire text. We're going to pick it up at verse 18, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Verse 18 I'm reading now the ESV today. It says this, Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Let me give you a little of the context just for a moment. Matthew was saved. Matthew was called by Jesus to come join him. Matthew's so excited about Jesus, he throws him a party, right? This is a continuation of that narrative. I know in your Bible there's probably a break 
But you'll see in a moment why it's a continuation of that narrative. Beginning at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Hey, I don't know if they said it like that, but hey, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Verse 19 says, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Verse 21, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So here's, here's the context. They're having a party, and the tax collectors and the sinners are eating, but apparently the Pharisees and John's disciples aren't. Jesus's are. And so they come over, and they're like, hey, now let's talk about fast for a second before we jump a little more into the text. What does it mean to fast? It means to go without food, sometimes food and water. And in the Bible, some people would fast for a day, uh, Daniel Uh, a day and a night the king did while Daniel was in the lion's den. Esther fasted and told her people to fast for three days. For seven days they fasted when King Saul, the very first Jewish king, was killed in battle. the, The army fasted for seven days and seven nights. And then Moses, when he went up to get the tablets, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And there's various reasons to fast, Sometimes it was an act of private worship. Sometimes it had to do with mourning. You were grieved and you were contrite in your heart and you wanted to just tell God you needed God more than even bread itself. And it was a way of focusing and it was uh, done when you had circumstances that were out of your control and you were calling out to God or you're in emotional distress. Um, And some people did it to impress others. See, the Bible only required the Jewish nation to fast one time of year, the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees, they fasted every Monday and Thursday. Could you imagine? Two days a week you're fasting? And so Matthew's party probably fell on a Monday or a Thursday. And so you can envision the scene. Everybody, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, the dregs of society are partying with Jesus' disciples. And they're eating too. And the Pharisees are on the wall watching this. And maybe John's disciples were on the wall, on the outskirts, watching all this go on. And it raises a question. In fact, it's a, it's a legitimate question. In fact, let's look at verse 18 again. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came to them and said, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? And that's the very first fill in the blank. It's a legitimate question, because this is SOP. You know what SOP stands for? Standard operating procedure. If you're religious, you're supposed to fast. So the first fill in the blank is a legitimate question about a religious yardstick. 
In another narrative, in Matthew or Luke, it says that even John's disciples were questioning Jesus. How come, how come you guys aren't fasting? And, um, well, the Pharisees were fasting probably out of pride. And this is the thing about yardsticks, and Heather will throw it up on the board. Yardsticks' focus is on the outward appearance and comparisons. See, ritual ones, religious rituals. Now, let's modernize it for us. Whether it's praying or fasting or going to church or tithing or listening to Christian radio or having a Christian bumper sticker on your bumper or having verses painted on your wall, those are all well, fine, and good. But rituals do not necessarily engage the heart. See, duty can be seen outward, but devotion, devotion is, is something that's in the heart. And religious activity can be done without engaging the heart. You can come to church without even talking to the Lord. In fact, remember last week, Ileana did her testimony, and she said that she used to get drunk and then go to church drunk because her heart wasn't engaged. She was doing the religious thing. People can, they can tie, they can pray, they can do all the religious things, but if the heart's not engaged, what good is it? And then, of course, last week was the first time I've ever baptized anybody in a kiddie pool. And so we did film it, and we're going to get Ileana's permission because, you know, she's pregnant, and it was kind of, you know, and, but it was pretty awesome to have a kiddie pool and, and to be able to baptize Ileana. And so maybe we'll show that next week. But the fact is that you can go through religious rituals but if the heart's not engaged, then, you, then you're missing it. And because of our flesh, we have a tendency to compare. Well, how many times did you fast? If I told you I was going to fast for a week, would you guys go, oh man, that's, he's spiritual. Why? Because that's where our flesh goes. It reminds me of a, of a farmer boy who, who got a, a white football for Christmas and he was kicking around in his field and he kicked it over into the other farmer's yard and the rooster came out and pointed to the hens and said now look do you see what they're doing over in that yard now get busy thank you Pat that was a courtesy clap we have a tendency to compare we we definitely do let's go back to the text Verse 19, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. And the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. That verb, taken away, is a violent taking. That's what it actually is in the original language. A violent taking away. And then they will fast in that day. And Jesus, he, if you look on your outline, he just totally bypasses the question about the yardstick and he gets to the heart of the issue. And here's the next fill in the blank. It's not about rituals. It's about relationships. That's why he talks about the bridegroom and, and at a, being at a wedding feast. Jesus takes them to the motive of fasting or to the motive of any religious activity. Don't you fast because you're in mourning? Whether it's over your circumstances or whether it's your sin or whether it's your sorrow, your fasting is to be connected to your relationship with God. And he asked a question that 
expected a negative answer when he said, do you guys fast when you go to a wedding? No, the opposite was true of that culture. Man, weddings were big deals. They lasted for seven days. If you went to a wedding, you were surely going to be eating and the, the host was going to put out their best for you. And so of all the times to fast, this wouldn't be one of them. And so Jesus says, do people fast during a wedding banquet? And then why are you fasting or doing anything religious if it's not connected to the heart, connected to a relationship See, Jesus isn't against fasting. In fact, he says we should if it's connected to our relationship with him. Crying out to him, mourning over our circumstances, our, our sin, our nation, and just coming to him and, and looking for sustenance and strength. There have been times when, you know, the situation with Danny and my daughter where she's been sick and she has these, this mold that's living inside of her. There have been days where Tammy and I have set aside and gone 36 hours or longer and just said, Lord, we don't need food, we need you. See, our fasting wasn't connected to impress anybody or thinking because the Jews did think that somehow fasting was a little bit like Aladdin's lap, lamp. You know, if, if you fasted, somehow God was obligated to do something for you. That's not what fasting is about at all. This is about when you're broken. It's about when, when you are powerless over your circumstances and the only thing you can do is cry out. In fact, you don't even want to eat sometimes because you are so overwhelmed with your circumstances and you're just crying out to the Lord. Jesus is all about that because it's connected to relationship. Rituals. Here's the next slide. Rituals can be performed without the heart involved. Let me say something. I'm going to say it twice. It's not going to be up on the screen, but I, th I think that you'll catch it. Going through the motions of being religious, going to church, reading your Bible, tithing, taking communion, all the religious things that you think that you do on, a, on a, any kind of regular basis, going through the motions without the heart involved has a very numbing effect on your life in Christ. Did you catch that? That if you're just going through the motions, it's just like a husband and a wife. If you're just going through the motions of a marriage, you just what? You just kind of drift away, don't you? It just has this numbing effect on the relationship. Just going through the motions of doing life together. Going through the motions without the heart involved has a very numbing effect on your walk with Christ, your life in Christ. Let's get back to the text, because Jesus is now going to give us some illustrations. And he says in verse 21, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. In another narrative, it says this, No one takes a brand new shirt, cuts it to use it as a patch for the old garment. And he says, if he does, the patch tears away from it. And why is that? Because as soon as you put it in your Maytag dryer, what's going to happen? That new piece of cloth is going to go what? And even though you've done a nice job sewing, it's going to rip away because the old garment didn't shrink either. I, and, and, but the new one did. And a worse tear is made, Jesus says. And then he says, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. 
Jesus answers or bypasses the yardstick question and then teaches with an illustration. Here's the very next fill in the blank. My gospel is not an improvement, but something totally new. The gospel is an improvement on the old covenant, but something that is totally brand new. God is reorchestrating how he's dealing with man. The gospel isn't a patch job as the old, uh, to the Old Testament. Now this next slide, I want to I elaborate just a little bit more on. Jesus' message, and this is, this is the gospel. So many times, again, we think the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But what was Jesus preaching during his three and a half years? He wasn't talking about the death, burial, and resurrection. What was Jesus' gospel, good news that he was inviting people to? And it was this, to live with God again. So you remember in the garden we got kicked out of the fellowship with God? Jesus comes back and says, this can be reversed now. You've been waiting thousands of years to now live in fellowship with God again because the kingdom is now and future. But the kingdom is now and it's going to get better in the future. And Jesus' message was an invitation. And it can't be compared to the old. It just can't. In fact, in Jeremiah, a very famous passage, let me read it to you. Jeremiah prophesies something about our day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new agreement, a new covenant, a new testament with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law inside them. I'm going to put it on their heart. Not on tablets of stone, but on the very being of their heart. And write it there. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So Jesus isn't making an improvement. He is talking about something totally and radically new. Also, Jesus' message, the gospel is an invitation to live with God again. It's going to burst the old way of doing things. And, and Romans, and let me just go there. Let me, let me share with you what Paul wrote. He said, because of the new way, because of Jesus, because we have had this written on our heart, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, from the old way of doing things. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own sin, Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Jesus came not to abolish the law but to fulfill it. And when he did, he set us free from meaningless rituals to live now in Christ. So you have a new creation. 
you're adopted into the family, you have a new power. What used to be this pull towards sin is broken. The power of sin has been broken off of you. And the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. Think about that for a moment. Do you know in this part of the Bible, all of this part, there were only a handful of men that had the Holy Spirit put upon them for a season. And the new way says He lives with you 24-7. This is radical. This is going from horse and buggy to an automobile. It's going from candlelight to electric light. This is radically different. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to get caught up in your rituals. Rituals have to do with relationships. Those things aren't bad to do, but if they're not connected to the heart, then you're missing the point. Because you're a new creation. And then if we go back to the text, it says this. But new wine is for what? What does your text say? For new wineskins. Here's the last fill in the blank. A new, of, new way of relating to God means new ways of expressing our devotion. A new way of relating to God means there are new ways of expressing our devotion. I hope that you wake up in the middle of the night and there's a song on your heart. Seriously, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night. I hope that you catch yourself in a praise song. I hope that when you go to bed tonight and you're laying your head on your pillow, you're singing, Oh, happy day, happy day, He washed my sin away. Because new wineskin means there's a new way of relating to God. We don't have to be afraid of Him anymore. He said there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we have a new way of expressing ourselves. And it doesn't have to do with legalistic rituals. It has a way of opening your creativity to allow you to express your love and your devotion. Not duty, but your devotion to God in a way that is uniquely you. And then that joy comes. And that joy just overwhelms you because you can't go around but with a smile on your face because you're finding new ways to express love to people because God has so filled your heart with love. That's not ritualistic, is it? No, that is just being set free. That's what Romans said. You have been set free. And the Spirit's living inside of you to direct you to live a new life. You know, The Bible says that every time you walk in somewhere, you carry the fragrance of Christ on you. And some people go, oh, I can't stand you. And they don't even know why. Because they're put off by Jesus. And there's others that, man, I don't know what it is about you, but I really like you. They're drawn to you. Because the fragrance of Christ is just coming out of you. You're the new wine in the new wineskin. It's percolating and bubbling and changing. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful thought? That's just exciting. Now, Jesus does quote a a proverb in the Luke passage, and and he basically says this, how hard it is to change. Let let me just read it for you, because I I think it's it's worth looking at. It's it's Luke chapter 5, and this narrative adds one little phrase. Verse 39, Jesus says, And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good enough. 
Now, he's just quoting a proverb. He's not saying that the Old Testament is better than the New Testament. No. I think he's telling us how hard it is to change. Sometimes we just want the old stuff. Well, I want the old songs I grew up with in 1970. That's what I want worshipped. Every I want the Gaithers. I want the Gaithers. I want Larry Norman. I, you know, it's like, whoa, change is hard, Jesus is saying. They want to know why he and his disciples are not fasting, and he's telling them things are changing, and some of you are going to have a rough time with it. In fact, there's a slide. If you can throw that one up, Heather, it says this. Because of familiarity, change comes hard. People get used to the old ways and want to continue in them. How many of you refuse to get a smartphone or refuse to get a smartphone today? Okay, we got Bob, we got Pat. Why? Because they're stupid? Because they're complicated. There's change. How many of you can set the, a timer on your VCR? And you don't even have a VCR anymore, right? Because you had a new improved version called a DVR, a DVR or a DVD. It's sometimes hard for us to change, but it's worth it. It's worth examining our lives even at a time of communion. Why do we take communion? What is the purpose in that? Lord, how am I connecting to my heart? Am I just doing this because everybody else is doing this? Or am I doing this because I want to express my love and devotion to you? How, how do you love your wife? How do you love your kids can be an expression of how you love Jesus. See, it's not one-dimensional. There is no secular life and Christian life for a Christian. It's all just Jesus, isn't it? Are you with me on that? Nod your head if you're with me on that. You're just living life with Jesus. The bottom line for us today is this. If we have thought that we could just add Jesus to our life and he would just improve it, we're missing the boat. We're missing the mark. I don't want to be just a new and improved Rob. Goodness, that's nothing. I want to be the new creation that God has dripped me to be. Ever think about that? God has a dream for your life of the man that he wants you to be. He has a dream for you, Pat, on the woman that he created you to be. And that's kind of exciting because God dreams big dreams, doesn't he? And he doesn't make junk and he's just incredible. And so this, this change is, is radical. Jesus is making a change in us. The things we do, the way we live our life, the way we use our tongue, the way we use our money, the way our priorities are, it's a paradigm shift. It's totally radically new because it's not about religious activities. It's about a relationship that drives the way we live. So let me say that again. It's the relationship that we have that drives the way we live, not out of duty, but out of devotion. And man, that is so freeing. I love our little church, and I want the people in Las Cruces to know about this new life that they can have in Christ. We can't hoard it. We can't be like the lepers who, fa the lepers who found the camp empty and just were gorging themselves. We have to go tell the city that the army has fled and there's food for all because this isn't a zero-sum game. We can only have so much love. The more love we have, the bigger our love grows.